morning, St. Michael's. Will you please stand? Lord, we are just so grateful to be invited into your house this morning. We know that this is a holy place, that you'll meet us here. Just enter into our hearts as we're here to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
Bless the Lord and forgive our sin. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry that I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty merciful Lord, grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit.
just, it was such a mighty picture in my mind. I know it was from the Lord. Um, so just those of you who are like just being awoken to your to your life in Jesus, and then you see people who have had walks 30, 40 years, just know like that it's, it's fresh water to you, but it's fresh water to those around you too. <laughs> and, and it's just going to bring up, it's going to well up in everybody. Like that new wine, that new power. That was such an amazing song, prophetic for us. So I just encourage you to jump into those things. There's a real anointing on that song this morning. together the combat. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, 
one God, forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we pray for all these children. We pray that you would bless them, sorry, and keep them. Make your face shine upon them, be gracious to them, lift your countenance upon them, grant them your peace, Lord. I pray as they go forth into this Sunday school that they would learn the things that you would have them learn, that they would be empowered to walk in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. This morning's first reading is from Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. And take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also, take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning's psalm is Psalm 95. Please read responsibly at the asterisk. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God. And a great King of all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. 
when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. For forty years I was grieved with that generation. And said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, will be forever. Amen. This morning's New Testament reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord. chapter 5 beginning at chapter 4 beginning at verse 5 so Jesus came to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph now Jacob's well was there Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey sat thus by the well it was it was about the sixth hour a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. I was just listening uh, to the readings, and it's always interesting when you're doing a series that uh, is different than the readings, because all these things pop out at you at the readings. You're like, man, I should preach that. Man, I should preach that. But I'm not going to do two sermons. Don't worry. We're just going to mention one thing that I do think God is saying to us this morning. I was listening to that story in Exodus, and of course we had that long series on Exodus in the fall. And there was this moment that struck me differently, though, as we read it today, uh, when Moses came and he's like, God, they're, they're going to kill me. What am I going to do in this situation? Uh, God told him to take up his staff and go strike a rock. And yet when we pray to God, we're like, okay, God, encourage me. And we hear God and he's like, oh, I love you and I have good things for you. But he doesn't give us things to do. Is that interesting, huh? 
I think maybe we all need to be challenged in what is God asking us to do in those situations? Because yes, the word of the Lord is he is faithful, he is good, he's going to see you through, he has good things for you, and you need to hear that constantly. Because there's the other voice that says God hates you and you're the worst and you don't deserve any of that. And so we need to hear the encouragement of God. But there's one more step, which is we need to do the things of God, the things that he tells us to do. And it might even be as simple as pick up a stick, go hit the rock, and water's going to come out. Which even my son Rowan will tell you that's not how sticks and rocks work. So don't be surprised when he tells you to do things that you weren't thinking of doing or that wouldn't make sense to you. So that's just a little encouragement as we dive into these things. We can get so theologically minded, so Christianese, you know, where we have all these phrases and things that we forget God's a God that demands obedience. And he often asks us to do things to save our life that don't make sense. Amen? Okay, let's talk, let's talk about our series. We're talking about the last week that Jesus lived on earth. What did he teach? What did he do as he prepared his followers for his crucifixion? The most scandalous, mind-boggling action of any leader in the history of the world was to raise up these 11 men and then go die and say, now it's your turn. Okay, there's a little bit more going on there, but what is he telling them? And this today, we're doing Holy Tuesday. So this is Tuesday of Holy Week. There's a really interesting thing about Wednesday where we have no stories from the Wednesday of Holy Week. And so we call that Silent Wednesday. And there's a talk about how he, you know, spent that last day before the Last Supper and Passover with his followers and in communion with his friends and Bethany. We're not going to get into that because there's not more than that to talk about, but... On Tuesday is his last day where he's announcing to the world his purposes for the world. And then Thursday, we're in the passion. We're in the moments that are his the drama of his crucifixion, the drama of the Passover. And so as we're going through today, you can hear an urgency in Jesus' voice. This is the last time that Jesus talks to the religious leaders outside of his trials. And he's really desperately, like we talked about last week, he desperately wants Jerusalem to come to him, right? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I wished to gather you under my wings? So don't hear what he's saying today as rebuking the Pharisees because he doesn't like them. Hear what he's saying today as him trying desperately to correct their misapprehensions so that they can see the truth. Because each one of these Pharisees, although all the Pharisees end up turning against them, whatever, each one of these Pharisees has an opportunity to know Jesus Christ, to know his purposes. And so he's never treating them like this group, that the enemy, right? He's always answering them in the fullness of truth that they might be saved as well. So keeping that in mind... Let's join the narrative uh, on last time he flipped over the tables. He cursed the fig tree. He did all these things. He went to Bethany. He slept. He got up. And we enter the story here. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. What? The fig tree, have faith in God. Okay, let's hear what he says. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, 
but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. That is a tangle of important things. But what does it mean about the fig tree? What's the point? Well, I, I kind of got the humor in this, right? Jesus has raised someone from the dead, multiple people. He has healed people. He's fed 5,000. He curses a fig tree. It withers. And Peter's like, Rabbi, look. What you said came to pass. As if he's shocked and amazed. There's an exclamation point in there. Rabbi, look. Now, of course, there wasn't punctuation in the original language. But there's this, imp- this idea of this exclamation like he's shocked. And Jesus is like, duh, have faith in God. The mountains will move. If you have faith in God, you're surprised by a fig tree? That's the connection between this. But then the modern question comes up, yeah, but I've never heard of a mountain being moved and thrown into the sea. I have never even, it's never happened to me. I've never heard of it. It has never happened that we know of that somebody has prayed and a mountain has been tossed in the sea. So what is Jesus talking about? I think part of that answer is it's a mystery because he says, whatever you ask and believe, I will give you. And I can tell you from personal experience, it doesn't mean what it says on the surface (laughs) because I have asked and I have believed and things have not happened. So what is Jesus's point? The mountains aren't being tossed into the sea and you can ask and pray and believe and things don't happen. So why would he say that? Because we know Jesus doesn't lie. He is the truth. Well, my mom has this point that she frequently makes about when she disagrees with my dad, she has a procedure, right? She disagrees and then she goes to God and she says, God, please change his mind or change mine, right? The or change mine is really important, although I'm sure the please change his mind is sometimes prayed more fervently. But there's this idea here. Um, that sometimes God's not answering our prayers is an answer to our prayers. Sometimes when you pray for something, it's actually not the thing that you need, want, or would ever desire if you could see the world the way that God sees it. What type of faith moves mountains? It's the type of faith that believes that God will move the mountain. And believes that when the mountain doesn't move, God is still moving on your behalf. That's the type of faith that Jesus wants for us. Not that our prayers are ineffectual and like, well, if God's only going to pick and choose, why should I even pray? He's going to do what he wants to do anyway. No, 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 no. The type of faith that believes our prayers are so powerful that even if that mountain doesn't move, there is a mountain moving. God is a mountain moving God. And so when you pray fervently for that job that you know, I'm called to this job, I'm going to get this job, I'm going to get this thing, and then it doesn't come through, we say, thank you, Lord, for answering that prayer. Because ultimately, what God is doing through our prayers, we have to trust is better than our prayers. Right? So... Once again, I don't want to over-mysticize this. It's like, yeah, pray for specific things and see God show up. He does. But when he doesn't, we still have faith in our mountain-moving God, right? That's a lot of faith. 
And furthermore, he throws in this little nugget, forgive others so that God can forgive you. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, so let's just all agree that we're not going to drink the poison of unforgiveness and hope that the other person dies. Right? Let's not be a people of unforgiveness. It just messes things up. Okay, let's move on. There's more to talk about. So he gets into Jerusalem, and right away, the religious leaders, he had just turned over the tables. He had Palm Sunday where he came in. They are ready. They are armed and ready for him. They're going to challenge Jesus because he's getting too popular. He has too much of a following, and there's a lot of concerns that are going on. So it says in Mark 11:27, and they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him, all the elites, all the experts came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? That's an interesting question. Who gave you your authority? Basically, they're like, what right have you to come into our place and do what you're doing and contradict our authority? So Jesus never answers the question on the surface. And he jumps in and he says, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love that answer, because it also answers their question, right? It's like, What authority do you have to do these things? Well, what authority did John have to do these things? If they had said God's authority, Jesus would have said, you have your answer. Right? He gave them the answer, and yet because they were so twisted up in their political considerations, they didn't want to lose face if Jesus called them out for not believing in John. They didn't want to lose face with the people if they said John wasn't a prophet. It's like... They had their chance. These are the defenders of Jerusalem. They are there standing on the threshold to defend the true faith, to lead the people to God. And Jesus gives them an opportunity over and over. And at this point, I believe they lose their opportunity as a religious group to participate in what Jesus is doing. That's my own opinion. But you can see from this point on, the conversation changes. They make a choice here. Instead of answering what they know, they decide to be cowards and hypocrites. And then Jesus comes back with this. And you can, you might have wondered during Palm Sunday, like he's healing people, he's doing all these good things, he's feeding people. How do they decide to crucify him? Well, it's because he started saying things like this. Matthew 21, 33. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get its fruit. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. 
And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. This parable always breaks my heart because of that line, they will respect my son. And you just kind of hear the heart of God behind that, like, surely they'll respect my son. Now, of course, God knows the wickedness in our hearts, so he knew what was going to happen. But just hear the heart, like, don't make it this theological thing and God and his justice needed to sacrifice. Like, no, like the father sent his son because he wanted to save us and we killed him. That's the heart of Holy Week. Everything Jesus is saying is, Jerusalem, come under my wings. Get on my program. Get back in right relationship with God. And the answer is his crucifixion. That's the answer the religious body gives. That's the answer humanity gives when God shows up. So then the question from Jesus, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. So what's happening here? What is the war that Jesus is fighting? He is taking back the salvation that God offered through Israel and through the Old Covenant, and he is fulfilling the Old Covenant and providing a brand new set of tenants to manage his vineyard. Because Jesus, or Israel, from the very beginning, from Exodus, from Abraham onwards, was to be the vineyard of God that provided the fruit of God's salvation to the entire world. And they turned their back on that. And they became a squabbling people again and again, fighting for their own power, keeping the foreigner out, doing their own thing, building this religious edifice to their own holiness. And when God showed up, the one they're supposedly worshiping, they crucified him. But the hope is, and the revelation is, now there's 2.2 billion Christians. Because of their decision, instead of 2.2 billion Israel, you know, worshiping God. I mean, I'm, I'm jumping out on a leap here. Because, of course, Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. So there is no hypothetical where Israel gets it right. The glory of God is that he knew that and he came anyways. He knew that and he saved us anyways. He knew that and he chose Israel anyways, knowing that they were going to fail, but still extending love again and again and pursuing. So in this, you see what is happening in Holy Week. What is Jesus enacting with all of these things is he's changing the guard. It's a new covenant, new tenants. And now Christianity is the number one religion in the whole world by a long shot because Jesus brought fruit out of his next generation, out of the new covenant. By his power, not because humanity changed, not because his 11 disciples were the holy Jews that he took. And he's like, these are the, the 11 people who are the holiest of all Jews and they will change the world and all the other Jews fail. No, because Jesus did it for us and invited us to walk into it. The problem with the law, the problem with the old covenant is that it relied on us to fulfill it. Jesus came and said, I'll fulfill it and then I'll welcome you into the resurrected life of my kingdom. And that's what's happening in Holy Week. So let's keep going here because you can see now things are going to shift as he gives this parable. And Jesus calls back to the prophecies. He says, has you ever read in scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Their eyes were opened just enough, just enough to hear the truth of Jesus' words. But instead of submitting themselves to the truth, they decided to kill it. And the same temptation comes up in our life. When we get the hard truth, the thing that your wife tells you that you don't want to hear at that moment, the thing that your boss tells you that you're fighting against, whatever, and you instead of, oh, man, you're right, I need to change, I need to change direction, I need to repent, no, 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 that's not my problem. No, 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 you're, you're exaggerating. Whatever it is in our life, Lent is a time of hard truths that God's bringing to us. Are you submitting to the truth or are you crucifying it? Now, I'm using dramatic language here, but I do think it, it, we're talking about this from the picture of Jesus coming in to us, right? We talked about last week when he cleared the temple. It's like he's clearing the temple of our heart from all of our idols, all of our distractions, all of our things so that we can encounter him. And in this moment, he's coming into Jerusalem and he's saying, here's the truth. How are you going to respond? Now, I love that picture of the stone and on who, whoever falls on it breaks in pieces. Whoever it falls on is crushed utterly. And I think of that as the model of salvation, the model of repentance. Jesus is a stone. And when you encounter him in your life, whether you were born into a Christian family or not, you're going to encounter him and you can either throw yourself on the mercy of God and you will be broken in pieces. But what will remain is the resurrected person that God's called you to be. Or when you encounter Christ, you can resist it and it will crush you utterly. Reality is unforgiving. The truth is unforgiving. So throw yourself on God who is forgiving, right? Okay, so Jesus is laying down the law, right? I'm using that phrase and pun intended, right? He's laying down the new law. This is the way it will be. And then they say, from that point on, basically, everyone that comes to talk to Jesus was sent to test him. They're like, we've heard enough parables, Jesus. We're going to lead the conversation from now on, right? And so we get to this point where now they're full tilt trying to trap Jesus. And in Mark 12, 13, they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. They're going to trap the word in the words that he says, right? It's like the absurdity is fun to look at looking back, but... The same thing. It's like we also argue with God ourselves as if he doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) God, I've got this thing figured out. Um, And they came and they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. Flattery to start with, right? We're going to get we're going to boost his ego so he'll fall into our trap. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. I mean, you can just hear like the the hypocrite, the hypocritical nature of what they're saying. And then they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. And once again... Jesus answered their question, but not in the way they expected. 
And he answered their question in a way that could be understood like in a court of law. Jesus said nothing wrong. Render to Caesar what is Caesar and to God's what is God's. But for 300 years after this moment, the first Christians looked at this passage and said, Caesar doesn't get our allegiance and our worship. God does. So they're trying to trap him by saying something that sounds like an insurrection so they can send him to the Romans to be killed. Right? That's their whole point. And he says something that's used for the greatest insurrection in the history of the world, and yet they can't trap him. Jesus is pretty smart, right? Because he's saying, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, which sounds like pay your taxes. And sure, fine, pay your taxes. But render to God what is God's. And Jesus could have just as easily picked up a little kid and said, whose likeness and inscription is on this? Whose likeness and inscription is on you? God's. So render to God what is God's. There's no middle ground. You belong wholly to Him. So sure, pay your taxes, but sacrifice your entire life to God. So then there's a series of fun tests and, you know, the Sadducees, they get their shot about the resurrection and Jesus is like, God's the God of the living, not of the dead. So let's move on. You don't understand what you're talking about. I love that line in there, right? He's like, you do not understand of what you speak, you know? And then there's the great commandment. And this guy's a real, he has a heart for God. He actually wants to know. He's like, Jesus is answering so well that I'm going to ask him my most burning question. And he says, what's the greatest commandment? And you hear it every Sunday. And it's the first commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. It all comes down to love. Not the love that we celebrate on Valentine's Day. The love that we celebrate when we look at the cross. The love that is laying your life out for your neighbor and for God. Both of which are very difficult to do, believe it or not. It's simple, but difficult. And then they say, okay, now we're going to test him again. Whose son is the Christ or the Messiah, right? They're trying to see, is he going to claim to be the Messiah? And Jesus just comes back and says, okay, look at this prophecy. He could have picked several. He picked this one. He goes, let's, just, let's do this one today. And uh, he says, so David writes in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord... And we know that's a prophetic psalm, and the Messiah is supposed to come from David's line, but why is he calling his son his Lord? Except that maybe his son is not just his son. Maybe he's not just an earthly Messiah, but actually he's the son of the living God, Lord, like God. We don't have to go into the ins and outs of prophetic ministry, but it was a sick burn in his day, right? Like back then, people were like, whoa, like what did he just say? Because they knew that scripture. They knew the prophecies. And when he said that, they're like, I never thought about it that way before. And that's my whole point in bringing up this one because we could have just skipped it. But I wanted to bring it up because when Jesus shows up, you see things in a way that you never thought of before. And the reason why you can keep reading the Bible for 80, 90, 100 years and get stuff out of it is because Jesus is showing up when you read the Bible, when you hear his words, when you come to church on Sunday. So open your eyes, open your ears. He's going to show up and show you things you never saw before. And then he says, beware of the scribes because they hadn't gotten beaten up at all yet. So he needed to throw them in there, right? There's these different groups and he needed to beat up on the scribes a little bit. And he talks about how... They just pray these long-winded prayers and like they're trying to make themselves important. But when you pray, pray like mountain, go into the sea in Jesus' name. That's enough. That's enough. And then we get the widow's offering. 
And it just is thematically perfect because what is Jesus about to do, right? Because the widow goes in and she gives the two mites and he says, all these people give these gifts. And this widow gave all she had to God's temple, to God's people on earth. And what is Jesus about to do? He's about to give the exact same thing. Everything he has for you. Everything. There's no dollar amount that covers when you give everything. So then, just to sum up how Jesus ends his day, he moves to the Mountain of Olives, and he's looking out at the temple. So he's done talking to the religious leaders, and now he's just talking to his followers. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. And he tells them a few things. We're not going to read it because we just don't have the time. But he says the temple's going to be destroyed, which he said several times, but he wants them to know the temple's going away. And what he's saying there is both, yes, in 40 years we know the Romans came and they destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the old temple. But more importantly and more immediately what he's saying in this context is there's no more temple religion. There's no more old covenant. You no more go get a lamb and sacrifice it. You no more follow these ways. Instead, I'm going to show you something new. And next time we meet, I'll tell you what the new thing is, right? The new covenant. And as he's sitting there and he's saying these things, he starts to warn them about what's going to come. Because you've got to think, Jesus has the heart of God for his followers. He loves them in a way that we can barely imagine. And he's thinking about the fact that when he dies and then ascends into heaven, they get beaten up, tortured, and killed. Like all of them. (laughs) All of these people. At least get beaten up and thrown in prison at some point or another. And almost all of them die. So what do you say to that group of people? Go build my church. You're going to die. You know, it's like he's trying to help them see. But like I said, I'm going to sum up. I'm tempted to read, but there's too much. Um, So he starts telling them, you're going to stand in front of rulers. You're going to be in front of magistrates and kings. Don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. So that's number one. Don't be afraid. You're not doing it on your own power. You're doing it on mine. Number two, everything's going to go to hell. In a way, right? Because Jerusalem gets destroyed. Nation will rise up against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. War is going to happen. You're going to see a heck of a lot of hell when the kingdom of God comes in to throw it out. Don't be, don't be alarmed. Wars and rumors of wars. That's in this little passage, right? My favorite thing about that that I've heard is like, yeah, we've seen a lot of wars and rumors of wars, but there's all these prophecies about peace and people beating swords into plowshares. So let's look for those. We've seen all of these. Why are you looking for more wars and rumors of wars? We've seen them all. Let's look for the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Let's look for the things where the glory of the Lord covers the earth like the waters covers the sea. That's the stuff we're still looking forward to. The wars and rumors of wars, they're happening. And Jesus says, I understand it's going to happen. Don't be afraid. Right? And then he says, be on your guard. And he talks about how even children and um, brothers and sisters are going to rise up and they're going to betray. You're going to suffer betrayal. You're going to suffer all these things. But I'm with you and the Holy Spirit will empower you. And then further, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. So when you see it surrounded, get out of there. He gives them a specific prophecy to get out of Jerusalem. In fact, many Christians escaped because they took the words of Jesus seriously 40 years later. And then there's this last thing that I'm going to say, and we'll wrap up on this, because I do want to read this little part. 
Mark 13, 24. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. It's very complex and scary language, right? I'm going to sum it up really easily. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, there was no other spiritual power that would ever have authority again on this earth. That's what he's saying. We don't have to look for those actual stars to darken or the moon or the sun. What he's saying is all of those spiritual forces that people worship, the sun god Ra, the god of Baal, all of those things, everything that thinks it has authority on earth, in my death and resurrection, that all goes away. And I'm going to send my angels or messengers to the ends of the earth proclaiming my kingdom. And today we sit here as the angels of the Lord sent to the four corners of the earth proclaiming the kingdom of God. All of this was so that they would go forth in the power of God, not fearing the works of the enemy. And every time we leave here, we tell you to go forth rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same message. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to destroy all of the power of the enemy. And what we're experiencing from now till eternity, until we enter into that new heaven and new earth, is the defeat of the enemy. There's no, oh, but he has this stronghold over here and it's scary. No, it's like Jesus has everything. We're just walking it out in our life. And the reason why we're still walking it around, the reason why we don't see the new heaven and the new earth is because new babies are being born every day and Jesus wants them to get into his kingdom too. I'm saying a lot that probably could use some explanation, but I'm just going to leave it here and we'll talk about it more next time. But what Jesus has done is he has made a way where we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and everything is under His authority. He's already King. So when you come up against that thing in your life that He can't handle, He can. And when you come against that person that is bound by the powers of darkness, well, Jesus has come that they might have light and freedom. And we have a ministry to do. Just like the 11 disciples that created 2.2 billion Christians that changed the world. We have a mission. And then his very last thing he says is stay awake. So as we move out, and I didn't read that passage, but he says to them, the last thing he says before the Last Supper is stay awake. So as we go into Lent and everything, I just tell you, wake up, stay awake. Amen? One God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man 
and was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken to the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, since we have access to the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, let us appeal to him for our needs and the needs of the whole world. That the church will boldly proclaim that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy. That the persecuted church will have an intimate awareness of God's abiding presence and that their witness will lead to the conversion of their oppressors. Lord, in your mercy. That nations will elect men and women to positions of authority who are committed to knowing and doing God's will. Lord, in your mercy. That those who are preparing for baptism and confirmation will be empowered by God's Holy Spirit and remain faithful till the end. Lord, in your mercy. That we will be active in meeting the basic needs of the hungry, the homeless, the poor, and the unemployed. Lord, in your mercy. That we will be thankful for the love that God has poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit by demonstrations of love toward God and our neighbor. Lord, in your mercy. For our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, through the fountain of all life, hear our prayer and give us the grace to share the love of Christ with those we meet. We ask this all through his precious name. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace of God. Meditating during our worship and praise, and, and you know, I've been thinking that there was such a um, maybe a, 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 a passing of the generations or something that we were undergoing in this new year. But I realized uh, this morning that that's not what what's going on at all. Uh, that, that naturally will go on, but. What's going on is that God is pouring new water, the, the, the more of the Spirit in each one of us. 
There's a, a, a individual renewal. There's a, a corporate renewal, and uh, I'm just very, very excited about it, and I hope you are too. Keep reaching out for that. Keep reaching and pressing into God during this Lenten season, and I think it's going to be a, a tremendous overflow that comes uh, from Easter and the uh, following seasons. Amen? Saying that with renewal, us older people will feel a lot younger? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look a lot younger? Yeah. Our announcements for today. Confession. If you'd like to come to confession, Saturdays from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m., please come. And uh, there will be a priest here who will hear your confessions. Praise dance. So on the screen there, uh, see Bethany Mercer. She will be doing praise dance uh, between 2 and 3.30 p.m. on Sundays. Fire nights. We have our next fire night this Wednesday, the uh, 15th. And then our last one is two weeks following. That's the 29th here at church. And then finally, we have a men's meeting on the 8th. Uh, see Father Lewis Powell if you have any questions, 9 a.m. All right. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith, you who have little, you who've been here often and you who haven't been here long, you who've tried to follow, you who failed. Come, because it's the Lord who invites you and it's his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful, ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you've given your children a sacred time for the renewing and purifying of their hearts. That freed from disordered affections, they may so deal with the things of this passing world as to hold rather to the things that eternally endure. And so with all the angels and saints, we praise you as without end we acclaim. these gifts and make them holy so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, a death he freely accepted. He took bread, he gave you thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks and praise. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died. died. Christ Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and this saving cup 
We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world and make us grow in love, together with our patriarch, Craig, and with all the clergy. Remember especially those who are sick and firm in spirit, soul, or body. We remember Susan and Naomi and Sonia and Sandra, Karen and Tammy and David and Jerry and Liliana and Sandy and Sherry, the House family, the Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton and all those who serve in our armed services. You may have names of those who you are praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Christ, our Passover sacrifice for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb.
Jill, a lot of you know my story, and um, when Eddie was speaking, or Jesse, <laughs> when Jesse was speaking today, um, it just so resonated with my heart, and I'm not getting up here to share a miracle story, but um, God has really taken me through a wilderness, and I said I would never get up in front of public again. I wasn't going to be in the ministry again, you know, but God knows how to laugh at our own plans. But um, he's, this time through this wilderness has been a struggle. I've always been faithful to believe in God. And I've had my moments where I'm like, this is not the way it was supposed to be, God. You know, my life was not supposed to turn out like this. And um, through that, I realized that what the enemy meant for destruction and to turn my life into ashes and my children's lives into ashes. God is the main potter. And he can take those ashes and build them up. And I was reading something recently where it says that there's when potters um, smash the dust, right? There's certain parts of the dust of old broken pieces that if they smash it quite right and put it into the new potter, that potter will become stronger than ever. So it's like it was kind of a witness that God takes that smash, broken pieces of our lives and like puts it in and helps us to gain strength through these times of weaknesses. And although he doesn't cause all this suffering, he knows how to turn it around for us and make it good for us and make us stronger. And through the wilderness, we can not see God's power in it, you know, and that's one thing I've always prayed. I'm like, Lord, let me not complain like the people of Israel, but let me see that you're still there, moving the mountains, making a way for us, even though we don't see those mountains move. He's always there for us, so I just wanted to share that God's really working that in my life, and when you were preaching that today, I was like, Amen, because it's, it's something that we all need. We acknowledge what you're doing in our lives, in the lives of this community of believers. Together let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father. You have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling reconciling the world to himself and not counting men's sins against him. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. Best of all, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us.
And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen.